We are extending our series by one week, and that extension is absolutely in connection with uh, what took place this past week. We can't do this every time something bad happens. You'll remember back, I think it was my Colossians series, I pushed it back a week because of what was going on in the world. Um, just know I'm not going to respond to every bad thing that every, always takes place because otherwise, you know, it, we'd be just constantly responding. You can, you know, find stuff all over the place. And yet, um, as I tried to study different books, and let me just explain what I mean by that. When it comes to my sermon message preparation, I think of it as preparing by reading different books. Primarily, the book that I read is the Bible. But there's other books that need to be read. The book of our culture. Okay, What's going on in our culture and world. So I try to keep an eye on what's happening around us. Um, you know, looking at different news sources, those kinds of things. I'm reading that book. I'm also reading and attempting to read the book of our congregation. So our local church, how are things being felt? What's needed? I'm trying to always ask, you know, what does our church need to hear right now? And then the other book that I try to study is the book of self, myself. What, what is God doing in me, Seth Kunze? And, and so sometimes coming out of the book of self, I'll, I'll share things in connection. And as I've, I was kind of studying the book of what I would say is probably our congregation this past week, it just felt to me like pushing pause on this series and pushing my message I was going to end with today back a week made sense to me. And so that's what we're going to do. Because um, really the, the question that I want to pose to us is something like this. In our series on the church... My question is, how does the church respond or, or look at and operate in the brokenness of this world? How, what, how do we respond to what takes place like this past week? And I'm going to give you a few thoughts. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you right now, my main point today is something like this. Christian compassion, compassion Christian compassion leads to prayer and action. There it is. You want to tweet something out? Go ahead and tweet it. Uh, if you don't like that, now's the time you get up and grab some coffee and donuts and you know wander around the back or something. But that's where we're going. And the text I want to use as kind of like proof in the pudding on this is from Matthew chapter 9. We're going to see our master Jesus kind of play this out a little bit. All right, so let me read this. I'm going to pray, and then we'll try to dive in a little bit. Jesus went throughout all of the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, healing every disease and every affliction. Now, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless. They were like sheep without a shepherd. Then, and this actually surprised me in this text. I didn't realize in, in Matthew this text was connected to this here. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly 
to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers, workers, those who take action into his harvest. Let's pray. Lord, we're here to hear from you. We're not here to hear Seth give little nice thoughts. We're not here to hear um, little wise tips or wise sayings. We are here to hear your voice. God, help us to not underestimate what you can do during this time with your spirit working in the things that we hear so that the things that are heard would not just be in our head or in our mind or in our ears, but that they would actually be the kinds of things combined with your spirit's working that would go to the deepest parts of our very soul and that you would shape us and mold us and change us. And especially today that we would walk away as maybe more compassionate people who understand how powerful prayer really is and who understand how important it is to take action. Bless this time, please, Lord. We pray this boldly in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, on, on getting the report this past week of what took place, um, just driving around, I caught myself trying to put into action some of the things that we've been talking about the past couple weeks. What does it look like to love? What does it look like to still have joy in the midst of a broken world? Uh, what does it look like to suffer and just enter into suffering and just cry and weep? Jesus wept and just enter into that and just stay in that. And I caught myself driving down the road just thinking about and, and processing what's taking place. And so I begin to just cry and just mourn and lament and I try to not move too quickly past that and instead to just stay there in that a little bit. I've tried to put into practice some of the things of, of what does it look like to bring forgiveness, you know, the church being a place where forgiveness is at the core and central. What does it look like to, to, have a, uh, to say something along Jesus? I think it's one of the hardest sermons I've ever heard in my life. I remember right where I was when I heard it. In St. Louis, Jesus saying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. What does it look like to enter into a prayer like that? Super hard. You know, attempting to put some of the things that we've been talking to, sharing life together, processing together, not just going through uh, thinking about this past week on my own, putting into practice some of the things that we've been talking about as we've been talking about the church. And as I was doing that, it kind of led me to a place that I hadn't thought about before, which is something like, yeah, how does the church respond to the brokenness in this world? How do we operate as we look out at culture, as we think about a world that's out there? You know, Jesus saying something like, you're in the world, but don't be of the world. How do we operate and bounce up against that a little bit? 
And that's kind of where, it, for me, moved to a place of, you know, let's spend, a, let's spend a day talking about that. Let's teach through something like Psalm 22 and Psalm 44 and Psalm 88 as helpful resources for you. Do you because do you think this is the last tragedy we're going to ever see and hear about? Of course not. Is it the last thing that we experience where we're like, I don't know what to do. I don't even know what to pray. Of course not. And so my hope is that today can be a way to process some of these things and, and maybe even have some takeaways. What is the church's role? Compassion that leads to prayer and action. Let's just look at Jesus' compassion in verse 36 here. When Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. Now that word in the Greek is something like in the gut, from the seat of emotion. You know, we've learned through science now that a lot of emotional stuff is actually connected more with the brain, okay? A lot of brain science and stuff is teaching us these things. At this time, they're, they're thinking of the liver. They're thinking of maybe the heart or the guts. But you know what is being talked about here, right? Because you felt it in your gut before, right? You felt the gut stuff before right here you know even though a lot of what's going on we now know is actually up here you feel it here don't you and jesus in the guts from the guts has compassion lisa say it say it and there's brain cells in your gut fair enough Praise the Lord. Okay, I didn't know that. Talk to Lisa after service today. Talk to Lisa. Yeah, it is cool. Yeah, it's all connected. Praise God for his wonderful design. Seriously, talk to Lisa, because I know nothing about that. That's right, Josh. I'm, I stop right there. What I said, now I'm done. Lisa picks it up. Yeah, the, in the, right there, like, out of the gut, God has compassion for these people who are like sheep without a shepherd. Uh, at this time, the shepherds, who should have been shepherding them, had just called Jesus earlier in the chapter. They had just told Jesus that he was demon-possessed, that he was operating, that he was operating with demonic power to actually cast out demons. That's what the shepherds that's what the shepherds of these people were saying about Jesus. Go read it. You can go check it out. Early chapter, chapter 9. And here, Jesus is saying, these people don't actually have shepherds. Or if you'd want to call them a shepherd, they're terrible shepherds. They're actually wolves that have snuck in and they're killing and they're destroying the sheep. And Jesus has incredible compassion for them. Now, let's think about this for a second. What's the difference between Christ-like compassion and a secular view of compassion? This past week, I watched a TED Talk by a guy from Stanford, uh, you know, hotshot doctor, professor guy, um, which in my mind, he, and he was talking about compassion, and I wanted to hear what a secular view on compassion might look like and some of the kind of terminology might be kind of used from that, from that standpoint. And it was interesting because it, was always, it always went back to 
a survival strategy. Compassion is seen as a good thing in today's world. And yet it's seen as a good thing in, in so far as that it helps humanity kind of move forward. And so it's seen as a survival strategy. Actually, this guy was talking about how previous to this, it was, it was really about you know, the strong and the more powerful, the kind of hunter-gatherer kind of thing. That's what kind of helped society right, get through years and years and years of, of operating as humanity. And now that we've learned that compassion can actually be helpful for us, let's become a more compassionate world so that we can survive. And it was fascinating to me because as I'm pressing this thing, I'm like, yeah, that's pretty much our secular views world uh, idea of compassion and love and beauty and all sorts of other words. How can we utilize these things that we find to be physiologically helpful? Okay, you know, even he, this guy, he drops like um, physiologically. There's when we're compassionate, there's an increase for of longevity. There's a decrease in stress. There's a decreases markers of an inflammation in our bodies, okay? That's fine. But basically what he's saying is these good things that come from compassion, let's utilize it so that we can survive. How can we use compassion to essentially serve ourselves? That's, I mean, I know I'm making a move there. I get that. But that's what I hear. How can we utilize compassion for essentially to serve ourselves? That's, that's not a Christian idea of compassion. That's not what Jesus is doing here. See, Christian compassion is connected to, I mean, you could connect it to a lot of things, but I want to connect it to these quick three little thoughts really quick. Christian compassion comes from a place where we recognize that people are made in the image of God. So there's actually intrinsic value within humans because God has made them and he's placed his image on them. See, if you're an atheist or you're agnostic or a skeptic or something like that, you should want to believe what I'm telling you today. Because if compassion from a secular view will always be taken back to previous modes of survival, which previous modes of survival are always connected to actually violence and the strong eating the weak. It's always kind of suppressing, pushing down. It'll always be connected to violent chemical reactions taking place. It'll always be connected back to that. See, that's not, for, for a Christian compassion, it's always connected back to people have value intrinsically because they've been created by God. See, if you're an atheist today, you actually believe that to be true. I mean, you actually believe that. But when I kind of challenge you on your secular kind of views on it, it all breaks down. You should want to believe that there's this idea that people have intrinsic value. They've been made in the image of God. And so when Jesus looks at them, he's not looking at them just as these random kind of people that are just kind of emerging or whatever. He created them. He's made them. He's designed them. He loves them like crazy. 
and he has compassion on them. They've been made in the image of God. Second little thought I'd just quick throw out there. This is kind of all world, biblical worldview kind of stuff, but is, is that the world is broken. You can call it sin. You can call it you know, mistakes. You can call it whatever you kind of want to call it. But at the end of the day, the world is a broken place. Something has happened that's brought, that, that has ruined what God has made to be so good. Now something has infiltrated that. It's diseased that. It's come into that. And so now the world is a broken place. And so we deal with things where we're like, what the heck? How is that happening? Because we know, I mean, we, we're laying claim when we say, what the heck to that? We're laying claim to something like, that's not right. That's not okay. Something's wrong. And for us, from a biblical worldview, again, I find it to actually make the most sense if I was to reason with somebody who's kind of struggling with this, I find this to make the most sense that God has actually made a great world and mankind comes in and kind of made a mess of it. And now we have to deal with brokenness. And so you can, you can see how Jesus would have compassion because he sees the wrong. He sees the evil. And he calls evil what it is. It's bad. They're sheep without a shepherd because those who are supposed to be shepherds are actually wolves. The last thing, now this is going to be sound the most to somebody that's a skeptic or something. This is going to sound the most spiritually floaty one. To the Christian, you'll see what I'm saying here. Compassion, from a biblical sense, compassion actually can have an eternal impact. This is why we need to talk about it. It can actually have an eternal impact when we come alongside people and meet people where they're at. We're dealing with, yes, the now, but we're also able to bring a word or we're able to bring Let's just move to something. I'm just kind of jumping to it quick. Uh, we're able to move to bringing a Savior. We're able to bring hope into that so that there might actually be eternal impact that takes place. Compassion, that's a, from a Christian worldview, Christian compassion is absolutely different than a secular understanding of compassion. What does compassion move us to? Well, it moves us to the first thing on here, prayer. What does Jesus say here in verse 37 and 38? Then he says to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly. Pray. Pray. See, prayer the recognition here is there's a need for outside help. There's a need for outside help. We can't do it on our own. Don't you feel that? I mean, to me, that actually makes sense. Because as I live out my life in this world, it just feels to me, and I think I'm right, like there's always going to be a fruitcake with his finger on the you know nuclear warhead button. It feels to me like there's always going to be 
uh, murder and killing and rape. And it just feels to me like there's always going to be darkness and all the bad stuff in the world. Maybe you come to a different kind of thinking on that. But as I live out my life, I'm like, man, I just think it's just going to keep on going. Even if we all got together, the whole world, and we had some utopia peace conference, I don't think it's actually going to work. Right? We need help. In this past week, I posted on my Facebook page, I posted something like, um, I can't even remember exactly what I said, but something like, I'm, we're praying for Evaldi and um, Lord have mercy or something like that. And a friend of mine, uh, back from high school, I haven't seen him in a long time. I th- I'm pretty sure, and when I say friend, I mean, I haven't talked to him in a long time. Um, I just, I knew him growing up. I'm pretty certain he's become an atheist. He went to a Christian school and stuff. I don't know exactly where he was at in his faith, but I'm pretty sure some of the Facebook posts I've seen, uh, he's, he's become an atheist. But he posted underneath mine, and he says this. I quote him. Jesus hasn't done anything in over two decades of prayer. Jesus hasn't done anything in over two decades of praying. Now, I think that's actually a pretty fair assessment of, of what our, how, how people in our culture feel today. I think there's a whole lot of people that experience what we experienced last week, and they're like, okay, it's nice to say you're praying. It's nice to put the little prayer emoji up, but it hasn't done anything for two decades. Right? Maybe you're feeling that this morning. That's this guy, his comment. So how do we respond to that? How do we operate in this world as we deal with this feeling of, yeah, prayer hasn't done anything. And Jesus saying something like, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest. See, I I get the sense we need outside help. (laughs) I get the sense... I need help from outside to look to all of you for help. I'm just like, it ain't going to happen. I mean, we've tried, we've tried different governors. We've tried different leaders. We've tried different people. We've tried different, all sorts of different things, right? Right? And what has it led to? It's led to World War I and World War II and this thing and that thing and this thing and this stat and this stat. To me, I'm like, okay, I get what you're saying, but I'm almost, I'm almost more scared to think about what if God has been answering prayers for the past two decades? What if he has been intervening like crazy all over the place? Now that starts to scare the heck out of me. Not that God hasn't answered prayers. What if he's answering prayers all the time for safety and protection and all sorts of stuff? What if the world is even way worse than we can imagine? I mean, that's just something to think about. What if I need to just pray more? What if I just need to get on my knees and just pray and pray and pray? And what if we are to do what Jesus says and pray earnestly for 
for, 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 for the Lord of the harvest, to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest? What if we just got to pray and pray and just keep praying? How many of you are actually doing that? How many of you are actually praying? Or do we do the little prayer emoji thing and we don't pray? See, from a biblical perspective, Jesus is saying compassion leads us to recognize ultimately what's needed here is someone from outside. Blessed are the poor in spirit who recognize what they need the most can only be given to them. This is why we approach the throne of grace with confidence, yes, under the blood of Jesus, but also poor in spirit, recognizing Jesus, we need you desperately. And so we hear some of the things we hear this past week, and we don't just say, my thoughts and prayers are with you. No, we actually pray. Compassion, Christian compassion, Biblical compassion leads us to pray. Do you actually pray? I mean, do we, here's the question. Do we think God even cares? I think some of us, I mean, I've I've preached this before, um, but I really think even within the church, we've come to believe in this idea, and this was an article written years ago now uh, by this guy who basically talked about even within the church, we've come to believe in basically therapeutic deism. So we believe in God at some level, and we're, we're glad that he's kind of around therapy. We, we like to keep him by us in case we need him, but otherwise, deism being, he's way out there. He doesn't care about the little stuff in my life. See, we reject that, even though that's the predominant view of a lot of people today. Kind of therapeutic deism. We don't believe that. I, we believe Jesus actually cares about the details of your life. And he enters into those things with you and you can actually talk to him about those things. God, I got this on my mind. Help. God, I got this situation. Help. God, this world seems so broken. Help. It's amazing how... The word help is a great prayer. I'll tell people that. If you don't know what to pray, just pray help. How about day to day? Are we praying? Are we, are we entering into just prayers? We think about compassion. See, not just compassion. Follow me here. Not just compassion when there's a school shooting. But compassion when I'm in Walmart and I see the mother and, and it just seems like she's having a hard time wrangling the kids. Do I have compassion for, for the person and the family that's getting a divorce? Yeah, I don't know them that well. They're not even friends of mine, but they're going through divorce. Do I have compassion for that? Is there compassion when I hear that somebody's lost their job? Is there compassion when I hear about uh, a relationship that's failing? Do I have compassion for the person that's struggling with their finances? Do I have compassion for the person that I see that just, you know, the waitress seems like she's kind of downtrodden and she's just kind of sad and I can see something's not right. 
Do I have compassion for those things? Am I talking to God about those things? Am I praying earnestly to the Lord of the harvest? Who sees souls and lives? He sees people he's made. He sees people who are broken. And he wants to have an eternal impact in their life. The last thing here I just want to talk about real fast is compassion that leads us to prayer, yes. But let's respond to my buddy here. Uh, Prayer hasn't done anything. We need more action. Notice what Jesus says here. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. To send out who? The word word there in the Greek is, is workmen. Workers. Pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers. And what's the next sec? We're not, I didn't even read it. The next section is Jesus sending out the 12. And in Luke, he sends out the 72. As we pray, Lord, send out workers, people who take action. As we pray for that, we, we also recognize we're partly an answer to that prayer. Do you understand that? I mean, because as we're praying, God, please send people He sends you into the harvest field. Workers, those who take action, those who do stuff. Christians do this. We take action. Yeah, we are not of those who just pray. We pray and we take action. We're laborers. We're workers. Um. There's a book out. Let me just kind of shift here for a second. Just to, Maybe this will help some of you. There's a book out called Christ and Culture. Okay, This book, it's a little bit of a deep read, honestly. But if you kind of like today's message or you want to think about it a little more, this might be something worth picking up. This guy who wrote this, he basically talks about five different ways he has seen the church operate within the culture, kind of as he studied over the course of time. You know, how, are, how is the church to, to operate with culture or in culture? What is that supposed to look like? And he says some of these things. He says, there's Christ against culture. So we might look at the Amish or Mennonites who would maybe kind of take some of these things on. They're, they're, they're saying, culture's over there. We want to be over here. Uh, we are to not be in the world at all and just kind of stay out of it. And so, he, and he would say these are even sometimes Christian responses, but there's Christ against culture. There's Christ of culture or the church that, that sometimes will operate kind of in a kind of syncretistic kind of way with culture. And so this would be more some of your uh, more liberal, maybe Protestant denominations that'll say something like, you know, we follow Jesus' teaching. We follow Jesus' teaching, and um, Jesus is all about love, and so let's look at our culture and see how we can kind of mesh those thoughts and ideas together, okay? You'd have to go read the, I'm not painting the best picture here, I get it, and I'm not trying to pitch this book, I'm just trying to get us to think about maybe some different ways the church has reacted and acted within the culture as a whole. Another would be um, uh, Christ or the church above culture, 
And so it sees itself over culture as a whole. That might be more of a Catholic kind of leaning, uh, potentially. Uh, Christ, uh, culture and Christ and culture in paradox. There's t- uh, the transformation of culture. Now, I'm not trying to pitch one of these necessarily over another, quite honestly. I'm not saying any are blatantly wrong, although I really don't like the second one almost at all. Um, there might be kind of a mixing of some of these, and I would say that that's probably where I am. I, I kind of f- fall in line probably with the last two, uh, kind of a mixing of the last two a little bit. All I'm trying to do is say, how are we to react? How are we to think about our culture and world as Christians? What are we supposed to do? What are we not supposed to do? Are we just a, are we all supposed to move to Montana and just move or move to Alaska? I mean, I'm tempted sometimes to just go to Alaska with my family, get away from everybody, and just leave it all. I mean, you want to you want honestly you want an honest temptation of mine? That's it. I could go get a decent job. I have a strong enough back still. I can go ditches, you know, dig ditches up in Alaska, buy my 80 acres, settle down, and be done. You know? Is that what we're supposed to just do? Run away? Jesus says, pray to the Lord earnestly for what? Laborers, for workers. And then he sends those 12 out. And he sends the 72 out in, in Luke. We are sent out. What are, how are we supposed to operate? What are we supposed to do? Well, we're to have compassion, recognizing there's, people have been made in the image of God. We live in a broken world and there's all sorts of struggles. We can actually have an eternal impact in somebody's life. We're to pray and then we're to take action. What kind of action? What does that look like? I caught myself this past week coming home, pulled in the driveway after work. There's a kid in our neighborhood that's a little annoying. Just one, yeah. Nice, Michelle. And I caught myself coming out of this week thinking about, you know, the kids, thinking about the young man who did the just terrible thing. And I caught myself, as I'm just trying to kind of beeline it for the house, I just caught myself, you know what? And I just, I came up to him and I just looked, I just kind of tried to really look at him and I just said, hey man, it is so good to see you. It is so good to see you. It is really good seeing you around the neighborhood. We got to take action. We got to take action. That's the kind of stuff we do. Not that that was the most life-changing conversation. Just never know. We're laborers. We're workers. We're the kind of people who, who, who do. Not because we're going to earn God's love or anything like that, but because we, it flows from a place where we recognize what Jesus has done for us. He's went to the cross for us. He's been compassionate for you had incredible compassion. He, he actually didn't just pray, he lived out Psalm 22 in a way that you've never lived out. You felt like you were living out Psalm 22. 
You've felt crushed, you felt broken, but you've never felt the kind of crushed and brokenness that Jesus felt on the cross. He did that for you. He prayed and lived Psalm 22 and Psalm 44 and Psalm 88 for you. And out of that compassion he's had for us, we become compassionate people who pray and who take action. Here's four little thoughts that I think, you know, take it or leave it. What kind of action should we take? We should pray. I'm in disagreement with my buddy. I actually think we pray because I think that, my gosh, we need help desperately. And buddy, as you're trying to figure it all out and solve it with the people around you, the only thing I can do is look at history and be like, I don't think it's going to go where you think it's going to go. You keep doing what you feel like you got to do, but I'm going to keep doing what I feel like I need to do, which is Jesus saying, pray earnestly. And I'm going to pray. Uh, we are the kind of people, the second thing, we are the people that can bring hope. We can bring hope to people. Man, if you don't have a biblical worldview, what? That, okay, but you should want to have one. You should want a biblical worldview because we know how it ends, don't we? We know that actually justice, judgment takes place and God rights all the wrongs. That's how it ends. Praise God. I mean, that's incredible. No secular worldview will offer you that. The only thing that our secular worldview offers you is, is, you know, they just kind of disappear and go away. There's no judgment. That'd be a, that'd be a sad f- belief to believe in. We have hope. We have incredible hope. Uh, the third point is that we, are, we can share our life with each other. Basically, we can do all the things I've been preaching the past four weeks. We can actually love people. We can have joy even in the midst of pain and hardship. We can suffer with people, enter into that suffering and just sit with them in it. We have forgiveness that's connected back to the God of the universe that we get to wield on our lips and we get to say things like, you're forgiven, man. You're forgiven. You're loved. We can repent and receive grace and mercy. All the stuff I've been preaching about, we get to share that in doing life with each other. And my last thing that I'll just say, this is probably leaning a little bit more towards that last cultural one of transforming culture. But we can actually make an impact in our culture through our vocations. And I've preached that before too. But where God has placed you in your vocations, you can actually make an impact. So when I'm looking at that little kid and saying, hey bud, it's so great having you as a neighbor. It's so good seeing you. All that I'm doing is putting on the vocation of living in Forest Colony. That's all I'm doing there. I'm a Christian who lives in Forest Colony and this is my neighbor and I can enter into that vocation. None of you are in that vocation. Well, some of you maybe. But most of you aren't in that vocation of you know, neighbor with this kid. So that's not your call. You're, 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 not, you're not supposed to really do anything with that. Fine, I am. And so I'm supposed to enter in. Some of you might be doctors or you might be uh, blue collar. You might work all sorts of jobs. How are we doing that to the best of our ability, recognizing that God is even working in the midst of that? 
Is there a kind of transformation of culture that can happen when Christians rise up and say, I'm going to do my vocation to the best of my ability? I think so. Now, it won't have, and we just got to address this right away, it won't have complete end of all lasting forever and ever eternal impact in the sense that we still need Jesus to return. That's where it'll find its complete fulfillment. And yet we work for that. Christian compassion drives us, Jesus drives us to prayer. Prayer, we need outside help. And it drives us to action, providing hope providing the realities of the new creation already, the stuff I talked about last week, bringing that already into our everyday lives. Jesus' compassion is different. And so as we focus on him, as we look to him as our teacher, we allow his compassion um, to shape us and change us. And that's my prayer for us today. That you would leave here as people who've been impacted by Jesus in such a way that when you come into contact with people, you'd be compassionate. That you'd pray, and then you'd take action. Let's pray. Lord, this message makes sense to me. <laughs> I don't know if it makes sense to anybody else, but it makes a lot of sense to me. And um, so my prayer, Lord, is that my prayer is that you would shape us this morning, change us this morning, make us more compassionate people, help us to be the kind of people, Lord, who, who think about some of these things, think about how do we actually operate within this world? What are we actually called to do? Lord, as you've given us some food for thought this morning, I pray that as we chew on this, the rest of this week, as we chew on your compassion for the people without a shepherd, as we chew on how you call us to pray, and as you chew on a call to action, help us. Give us the courage. Give us the strength to pray. Give us, the, give us some wisdom on how you're calling us to, to take action and live some of these things out. Lord, we pray this. I mean, we just, yeah, we just pray this all in Jesus' name. Thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.